Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to the warehouse. It's December 9th. I'm back with my colleagues, Matt Corey and Dr. Stephen Loftus. It's been a few weeks. We're excited to talk to you. number of things going on with baseball despite the lockout. Uh, obviously, a lot of off-season uh, hot stove news. We'll try and catch you up on anything you might have missed. Um, so let's start with that, uh, guys. Just the uh, – obviously, we're in a CBA uh, – uh, dispute at this point was expected. Uh, Matt uh, has listed right now he's locked out, and that kind of uh, <laughs> encapsulates where we are. Matt, just kind of lead us off. You had an article at the site uh, uh, giving your thoughts, just your general thoughts on the CBA dispute and where you kind of see things headed. Yeah, it's it's a it's it sucks, um, but it, it's at a. Um, it's at a time that is at least publicly less damaging. I, I, I think, you know, there's labor issues are always there. They, you know, we may not be paying attention to them, but that is, that is a, the ever present, uh, you know, yin and yang of, of the, the capitalist system, um, you know, for better or worse. And the way that things are now in baseball, the players are getting a bit of a, you know, the, the short straw and they have realized it. <laughs> this last CBA has uh, reduced the average salary um, and, you know, the players don't reach for agency until really seven or even eight years uh, of being in the major. So, you know, sometimes guys are on the same team without any control over where they go for, uh, you know, upwards of a decade. Um, if not a little longer. And I think, you know, the players are tired of being taken advantage of in this way. And the owners don't have any or much of an incentive to change things. And so I, there's a lot of optimism, it, bizarrely, I think, um, you know, in the national press about how this is a lockout that's just going to be short and will be fixed quickly and they'll come up with something and we won't miss any games and spring training probably won't be affected. And I'm not sure I see it as that simple. Um, not that simple is the wrong word, but I, I'm not sure I see it as that much of an easy fix or a quick fix. I, I sure hope I'm wrong about this, but this feels like something that could drag on to me just because I, I think the sides are in such different spots. Um, I, especially based on the last couple CBA negotiations um, where it felt like the players wanted to get things done and wanted to get back to playing. And so they made some concessions that I think they regret. And I don't feel like they're in the, like they're going to do that again. And I think that was what bridged the gap the last couple times. Um, yeah. I think, I think you, uh, I don't think you're reading that necessarily wrong, Matt. I mean, uh, the fact that they're in a lockout, when they had the option to continue negotiating, even yeah. even when the CBA uh, expired, it, 
points to the idea that both sides are a little bit hardened and and uh, and they're looking for larger um, you know uh, further resolution. So, Stephen, uh, your general thoughts there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Matt, I'm kind of with you in the regard of the optimism level doesn't certainly doesn't match my optimism from a broader point of view because the players are in some ways trying to roll back a couple of uh, CBA's negotiations worth of losses all at once. And they just don't have that many chips to really give the owners in that way. I mean, yeah, you have the expanded postseason sort of thing, but that can't be negotiated for nearly as much as what the players really want to, especially with Major League Baseball taking any sort of rules changes out of the negotiating process. There was possibly a place where the players could maybe uh, push for some more financial changes that could benefit them. This is, I tend to agree with you, Matt, that I could see this going into early April. I, I think there will be a point, I don't think we're looking at a loss of a whole season or even half a season, but I could see losing a couple weeks worth of games, not because they're still locked out by that point, but because the negotiations dragged on till say early March and you can't just poof a spring training out of nowhere, <laughs> basically. So um, again, I, I'm I with think, you, Matt. I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but... great... No, go on. I, go I think ahead. that's a great point, Stephen. Uh, you know, the, um, the thing that sort of pops out to me is what do the players have to give the owners? And I agree, they don't have a lot, but one thing they do have is, their services that, you know, they can allow the season to go on. And that doesn't have as much value right now as it will in April. You know, the owners have been through a, uh, a I mean, we've all been through a tough couple years, <laughs> but the owners have been through a tough couple years financially without, you know, getting the amount of gate receipts that they normally get. Um, you know, fewer, fewer games with fans in the stands in 2021, fewer games with no fans in the stands in 2020. Um, they probably don't want to go through a season without, uh, you know, full attendance again. And that's something the players can give them. But again, that's something that doesn't, it, it has more value as we get closer to it, as the, the deadline gets, uh, up towards, you know, opening day. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt uh, you, Stephen. That was rude of me. I apologize. Have, no, it, no, absolutely. <laughs> you have millionaires and billionaires negotiating and Joe fan doesn't really care about that until games get uh, uh, potentially lost. So while fans are not going to be paying overly, overly a lot of attention here in December, if you get to spring training and there is a delay and then people see on the horizon that potentially uh, games will be, be missed, uh, then there will be more public pressure. Uh, Plenty of time for us to discuss this in subsequent shows. I'll just say, I think Manfred seems a, seemed a little excited to uh, to get to lockout, and I think he's looking for larger wholesale changes to, to the game. And I, I don't know if, if that'll be negotiated, but I, having read him for several years, I think that's what he's looking for. So uh, we'll see. Uh, let's go back between the lines or at least, uh, to the hot stove, which I think is a little bit more interesting for, for most of us, or at least a little bit more enjoyable to talk about. Um, the Rangers, they have, uh, they made a number of moves so far this off season. And, uh, 
looking to move up in, in the AL West. Even kind of walk us through their offseason so far. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a clear move into, shall we say, the uh, post-Astros juggernaut. I mean, the Astros are still going to be good, but I mean, maybe they're not the juggernaut that won the World Series, made the playoffs all these years. And also, I mean, the A's are going on their you know, every five years fire sale, basically, it seems like. And the Rangers are moving into that void of possibly AOS, maybe not contention yet, but they're at least interesting. So, I mean, they signed uh, Simeon for seven years, 175, Seager 10, 325. I mean, they're both, both contracts are ending when those guys are around, you know, like 37, 38, which maybe they regret the back end of those years, but I mean, heck, we don't know what the financial system is going to look like three months from now. So like, you know, there's, there's a certain level of, um, there's a certain level of comfort in dealing with the system that you know to a certain extent rather than waiting till post lockout, which is, you know, probably what motivated the majority of these moves that we're going to be talking about today and even the ones that we don't talk about. But it's always good to see a team that was mostly kind of hanging around at the Orioles level for the last couple of years go for some spending. You know, it's fun to see that. It's probably a good thing for baseball. It's a reward to, to think. It's a reward to their fans. Absolutely. They have, they have a new stadium. Uh, they're rolling the dice. I mean, I think they're definitely going to regret the Simeon contract long term. But hey, uh, today in 22, if whatever games get played, they should be a better team because of it. They're certainly a more interesting team uh, 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 because of it. Absolutely. Uh, and Simeon can <laughs> can put up the type of production that he needs to make that contract. Yeah, the back end might be rough, but in the end, just an overall, you know, fine deal for him. He can put up that sort of production in those first few years. It was just interesting on him. But he just, I mean, he's coming off another monster year, uh, I believe. I believe 19 was uh, a tremendous year for him. And then 18 and 20, I believe, were kind of eh, not so much. Uh, but, you know, he's shown the, the high-end ceiling there. But, again, kind of stay, you know, staying away from the front office component of it and just thinking about from the fan uh, service. I mean, it, like you said, it's been a franchise that's been down, and they, they're investing in their immediate product to try and get uh, uh, get some improvement. Matt, I'll let you uh, add some thoughts, and I will be. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering, uh, how does John Daniels still have a job? <laughs> I, the team has been bad for a long time, and now the solution is to go out and spend five hundred million dollars on three guys. Uh, I mean. In a vacuum, like all of those players make the Rangers better. And, you know, I think that is a good thing. You know, getting better is, is a good thing. Um, none of those guys are that young. And John Gray isn't necessarily even that good. Like he was a guy I kind of liked coming into the offseason, a uh, sort of a buy low kind of guy. Yeah, but, 15 million uh, is not buying low. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They gave him four years and 56 million or, or, or something like that. I think yeah. that's it. Now, I mean, and, he, he can benefit from the, uh, shall we say, uh, post cores bump and all that. And also, I mean, he is kind of a ground ballish pitcher, and uh, Colorado wasn't exactly known for their defense, particularly. Uh, Texas yeah, has like been at him. least a little better, but I, I agree. I, 15 million might be. Uh, a bit much. They're they're paying him as if he's already bounced back, and and he hasn't yet. So I, there's not that that certainty. And the other thing about 
this team, and we're admittedly, this comment is coming in the middle of the offseason, not at the end. So we don't know what the rest of the Rangers offseason looks like. Um, Semyon, Seeger, that's a nice starting spot. If you looked at the rest of this roster, it's bad. It's just bad. And the there are some young guys who might be decent. Josh Young at third base um, is a good prospect. Cole Wynn, uh, I think he's a pitching prospect. He's their, I think, number two guy. And, of course, they picked Jack Leiter in the draft. Um, who knows how quick he'll move. Um, yeah. But he's certainly a promising guy. Lau is all right. They have some defensive guys. I mean, Jonah Heim is a good, I mean, for how much long uh, catcher framing is going to be a thing. He's a good framer. Um, Garcia, you know, solid. It's not that they have, that they have nothing, but they just don't have a lot of guys who are even really above average. There's just not much else there that I see. Um, So I, yeah, I'm, I'm thoroughly unimpressed with this roster. And I feel like by the time that you know, if they're actually a good front office and they can actually improve the roster, by the time they do this, these guys that they just brought in are going to be too old and not good enough to really participate in that. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't know why Josh Dan- John Daniels is still employed there. It doesn't make sense. Matt, let's, Matt's look at another American League team that uh, wants to be on the ascent. Uh, Detroit, they added uh, Baez, and they also added Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, who we've talked about several times, and I think that very manageable contract that uh, the Tigers added there. Uh, what are your thoughts on those additions? Yeah, I like them. I mean, I'm not the biggest Baez fan per se, but he's an above-average player. He, he gets at his value, you know, Probably not in my preferred route, but, um, you know, power and good defense, that goes a long way at shortstop. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's a team that actually I think it makes a lot more sense for them to be buying now. Uh, you know, they have that young rotation, uh, Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, and they added Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, they've got some young hitters coming up, Riley Green, uh, Dylan Dingler, a catcher, and, of course, Spencer Torkelson should be up this year. Um, you know, that, that roster isn't great either, but you can see a path, um, you know, especially in that division, it's pretty easy to see a, a path for that team. So it makes sense to go get a guy like, uh, like a Baez. I, I don't love the length of the deal, but you know, you pick your guy and you go get him, And I guess that's, uh, that's the way the game's played. So, um, so I, overall, I think Detroit's had a good off season. They're certainly a better team now than they were at the end of uh, 2021. Uh, Steven, I'm going to be mad uh, all summer or all winter, excuse me, when I look at the, the Rodriguez deal and think about uh, that he could be in Baltimore, but uh, he's not. Uh, that, that's he, a perfect deal for the Orioles to have signed. I mean, that's uh, a per- it's a perfect deal. I, I mean, it, it, it's a mid-rotation. For the Red Sox too. It's a mid-rotation <laughs> starter at very manageable money, and you can lament maybe – going to the fourth or fifth year, but the money overall is, is very manageable. Yeah. So, uh, Stephen, your, your thoughts on those uh, deals there? Yeah. Baez is fine, but the amount kind of – there's a part of me that would rather have, even if he's older, given where this team is trying to go, Simeon six are for the, uh, you know, at 175, then bias six for 140. I, I just think Simeon is a little bit more of a well rounded player. He's Baez, a better player. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, and I think the cost difference at, you know, 35 million spread over time, 
is worth it basically i mean bias has always scared me especially the last couple of years as the strike of totals have been uh, trending upward a little bit but again it makes sense for detroit to make this move to go for this uh, sort of thing because they are a team on the rise they have the pieces and they're in a division that is imminently winnable so i, I can't fault them for going for it it's just not the guy that i would have necessarily wanted to immediately go for yeah i'd have given them twice that deal to uh, carlos correa I think that's, oh, yeah. that's the move I would have tried to make. So let's look at a couple other moves. Uh, Galsman, he went to Toronto, and then Ray uh, left Toronto for Seattle. Uh, which deal did you like better there, Steve? It's really close to me, but I think I lean Robbie Ray, and the only reason why. Galsman has a few more ground balls in his uh, system, and he's going from San Francisco's top-level defense to the turf in Toronto and a poor defense. So I'm thinking he might uh, wind up with a little less batted ball luck. I, don't, I think Ray's pretty much going to a similar sort of situation in terms of you know park factor, home run sort of worries, because that's the big thing with Ray. He tends to give up a few more home runs than maybe you'd like to see. I, I think he's going to a similar sort of situation in terms of park, in terms of defense, in terms of all that. And I think Gaussman's getting a downgrade in defense, so a little less batted ball luck is going to probably hurt him a little bit in the long term uh yeah matt what do you think yeah that's almost verbatim what i what i wrote down to uh yeah i think i think it's uh the the truth is um i i don't uh sorry trying to get this message to go away and it's not doing it um (laughs) i don't love either pitcher for five years I, it's yeah. weird because I was just thinking about that, that I was going to complain about the length of the deal. And then I just previously had said I did like Eduardo Rodriguez, who's younger than both of them. And but, you know, has had injury issues, too. I, I don't know. Maybe it's I mean, just how many pitchers with, with him. How many pitchers at all do you like for five years to a certain extent when they get to their upper 20s, early 30s? Yeah. And and both the thing about Gossman and Ray, neither of them has a long track record of success and on top of that they're both really two pitch pitchers and that just kind of scares me a little bit maybe it shouldn't maybe it shouldn't matter i I mean goes from going back to the east and like steven said on turf i mean that that's it's going to be different environment than he had this past year uh, with with san francisco but uh just on the stuff wise i kind of trust him a little bit more than ray (laughs) but uh you know ray's coming off a big year and going out to seattle i would imagine he can can kind of continue that formula that that worked for him so a couple of interesting deals there and i thought toronto did well overall getting uh getting a replacement for ray and and not you know having to totally fall off there i feel like Uh, one of those deals is going to go well and the other is going to go terribly and then in like two or three years we're just going to be talking about the one that went badly like oh we we knew it all the time (laughs) yeah right (laughs) we won't play it back but the uh uh, again looking at some other deals here been a uh active off season so far uh this is allowing us to catch up here the Mets, they landed uh, Scherzer, and Scherzer has said that he wants Buck Showalter as the next uh, Mets manager. They also added Marte and Escobar. Uh, Matt, thoughts on uh, that acquisition? <laughs> I mean, you know, we always talk about it's not our money, and you should go out and get the best player, and I mean, that's literally what the Mets did. They just went, all right, you know, you don't want to come to New York. You don't want to pitch for the Mets. 
how much, what's the line, where, you know, what do we got to do to make this happen? Always so, wanted to come to the Big Apple now. Yeah, now <laughs> he does. Sure, sure. Yeah. Now he's a big fan. Uh, couldn't couldn't wait to pitch for the Mets. Um, and uh, yeah, 40-something million, 42 million a year for a 37-year-old who had arm troubles at the end of last season. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's an amazing pitcher. I don't mean to... to put it down in any way and i i think it's uh i think it's great that uh you know that that the mets did that good for the fans heck good for max scherzer i i think in to circle back to your the first topic chris i think this makes it pretty hard for the owners to cry foul about you know the system is is cutting into their finances or whatever i mean you just gave this guy well the the owners always undercut themselves by yeah so somebody is always uh, doing deals be- beyond <laughs> what the market maybe says, yeah. and then they of course don't actively show their books either. And and, and uh, right, we're supposed so, to trust them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, as far as uh, Showalter goes, it, truthfully, whatever. I I could care less who the Mets manager is, and I don't think it's honestly going to make that big a deal. You know if. If Scherzer is healthy and pitching well, uh, I think their manager will be good. And if he's not healthy and or, uh, you know, hits a wall, um, either figuratively or literally, um, I think their manager is not going to be good. And that's mostly, uh, you know, the, the, the way managers work. When your team is good, you're a good manager. When your team is bad, you're a bad manager. Uh Stephen, if you have any thoughts, you can add them there or we can just jump to uh, Tampa. Um uh, I, I say less a thought um, and just a question. So when do you think the last time Max Scherzer in a non-pandemic year put up less than five wins, according to fan graphs? How far back do you think you got to go? Uh, 12. 12, yeah. That's yeah. my guess. 2012, and even then he put up four and a half wins. Just the consistency <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah he never throws uh, another pitch. He's a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. And he's a... Uh, I mean, they're all competitive guys, but he's somebody who's visibly very uh, competitive and animated, and it kind of he's a fun watch beyond just his uh, ability there. Uh, moving down to Tampa, they added Kluber on a one-year deal. I thought that was a typical race uh, uh, move that could uh, work well for them, and then they also traded uh, Wendell, who – uh, Stephen had brought up on a uh, previous podcast as a potential target for the Orioles. Uh, they moved him for a prospect to the Marlins. Stephen, thoughts on what the Rays have done so far? Yeah, classic Rays. I mean, you sign the guy who's kind of on, the pitcher who's on the bounce back and you hand him off to, you know, to the Rays system and they're going to find ways it seems to get value out of him. At least I would generally think so. I mean, it seems constantly they churn out guys who even, you know, to re- rehabilitate their careers and then to keep on restocking the system. You know, they trade Joey Wendell, who has been a very good player, a plus defensive second baseman, putting up above average offense and coming up out of the minors. You have a top 10 prospect at second base because that's why you can trade Wendell. Now, that said, you know, if the Orioles had been a little closer to contention, this is a trade I would have loved for them to have absolutely made. I mean, to, you know, make an equivalency roughly uh, to the uh, Orioles system. So the Rays uh, got Cameron Meisner. He's roughly speaking in terms of most ranking, evaluation, all that. We're talking Kyle, Kyle Stowers. So a guy who could turn out to be all right for a guy who, uh, again, has 
produced at the major league level and for the Orioles is a position of need, frankly. Um, you know, middle infield in some way, shape or form. I mean, the Orioles were the worst group of second basemen in all of baseball last year. Oh, geez, it was bad. I'm in the process of writing an article uh, about what, you know, short-term things for the Orioles and uh, second base is a major focus on that one. But again, it's just the Rays doing exactly what they do and it's how they just continually, even with, you know, their lower resources just continue to uh, refresh the system and continue to compete. Uh, Matt, let's just go ahead and jump to uh, to the Cubs and their uh, acquisition of Stroman. Uh, that seems like a reasonable deal there. Three years, $71 million. What do you, you think? Yeah, he's a good pitcher. Um, you know, I, I, the, the way – pitchers are evaluated now, you know, is so strikeout focused and I'm as guilty of it as anybody, but that's not really Marcus Stroman's game. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's a ground ball guy and, you know, he's got some velocity. I feel like, you know, if he wants to add more strikeouts, it's probably in there. Uh, but that's just not the way he pitches. And that's, you know, fine. He's been successful at the, you know, at, at his own style and, you know, kudos to him for that. I, I'm not sure that this makes the Cubs. You know, they they needed starting pitching. Uh, I don't know that this really makes them favorites. Uh, you know, to win a wild card or win the division or anything. Um, it it makes them better. And so, from that standpoint, hooray! Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not seeing as any part of a consistent plan today. It was just kind of a one off move by itself that. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's part of any kind of coordinated effort to, you know, to win this year or in the future. It's just like someone called up Marcus Stroman and was like, hey, would you do a three-year deal for this amount? And he was like, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was more that. complicated than that, right? Probably. Well, whenever we see uh, the off-season resume, we'll see if they can uh, – there is a further plan there. Uh, Stephen, Alex Wood, I'll eat some crow here. You kind of nailed the contract that he uh, got with the Giants signing two-year, $25 million deal to remain with, uh, with San Francisco. Again, I was, uh, my only hopes in the offseason were the dream of Rodriguez and Wood. Of course, neither one of them will, well, Wood will wear black and orange, but the wrong black and orange. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, again, it, to me, a deal very reasonable. Might not love his peripherals, but a legitimate major league pitcher, middle mid rotation arm, would have loved that contract. Okay, even with the tax, Oriole tax, if you figure he would uh, sign uh, with Baltimore versus staying with San Francisco. Um, I don't know. Just thoughts on that deal, Stephen. No, you pretty much nailed it. He's a nice number three guy on any sort of contending roster. Um, he's a ground ball guy. I don't know exactly how well that would have played in front of Baltimore's defense. Um, I think it might have been a little rough. I mean, I I truly hope when the offseason comes, uh, comes back into focus that, I mean, even if the Orioles are going to sign one year, guys, I hope they sign someone who can catch the ball. And, you know, with some range, hopefully, <laughs> but um, it, it's a good payday for him. It's it's a fair contract and in the right situation, which I think San Francisco really is the right sort of situation for him. He can be effective. 
Uh, Matt, anything to add there? Or we can just uh, jump out to the other uh, free agents? No, we can keep going. Okay, so which of the unsigned uh, free agents intrigue you the most at this point? Um, I mean, there's still a lot of guys. You know, we we had such a crazy week and a half or whatever it was where it seemed like, you know, a big name was signing every eight and a half seconds. Um, and you'd be reading the article about one guy signing when the news break about the next guy. Uh, but you still got, you know, forgive me, Stephen, for, for running down the list, but you know, got okay, Kyle go Schwarber is still out there. Uh, you know, uh, Freddie Freeman, Chris Bryant, and of course the big one, you know, the best free agent available this entire offseason, Carlos Correa is still available. So, there's a lot of guys left. Uh, the guy who was probably the most intriguing to me, uh, Carlos Rodon is really interesting. Um, you know, he came back to the White Sox on a one-year deal. And, you know, somewhere around midseason, he was probably the AL Cy Young, um, you know, the, the leader for that award. Um, he lost some velocity in the second half, um, was pulled from a start with some shoulder soreness. Uh, but, you know, the overall numbers are still really good. I think he still had the fastest fastball of any uh, starter. Although Eovaldi might have been up there anyway. Um, so I'm, I'm very intrigued to, to see what he gets and um, and where he goes. I, I, I think he's a uh, certainly not a buy low guy, but, but he's a guy with significant upside um, that I think uh, teams would do well to uh, acquire. Steven, lots of guys still out there, as Matt said. Uh, who's most intriguing for you? You actually didn't mention him, Matt. Um, <laughs> I'm really interested in uh, Michael Conforto. Just, Ooh, you know. Good name, good name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I say, I mean, he's 29, so still got some youth to him, all that sort of thing. A horrible 2021, I mean. But aside from that, I mean, he's only had. Uh, since he's been a regular player, you know, like 400 plate appearance sort of level, he's only had one season under 120 WRC plus. He's a decent defender in the corner outfield. You know, he consistently walks 10% of the time, doesn't strike out a ton. And the most interesting thing to me is because he was given a qualifying offer by the Mets and he turned it down. So he does have that attached, which is, you know, isn't going to help his market particularly any, but like 18 million after the season that he had was about what I was thinking that he might be able to get in the open market with nothing kind of in the way. So to me, that as much as he just wanted to get out of that mess in New York. So yeah. I'm just kind of curious where he could go, what teams might be interested in him. I mean, honestly, Atlanta might be a interesting sort of situation for him. I think you could uh, add to that roster well, but I mean, how many, honestly, how many teams would, you know, granted, you know, baseball's finances and all those sort of things involved in there, all that, but um, how many teams wouldn't mind a, uh, a highly, pro highly productive, good fielding, still by free agency standards, young outfielder. Yeah. there's a couple of teams that he would make sense on, you know, I know there's some redundancy, but um, you know, the Tigers and the Rangers, both teams yeah. that obviously are trying to add at this point and have already, you know, taken some hit from uh, signing qualified free agents. So it would make sense for them to, to, you know, Let's to grab on. a guy like that. Like I was thinking about him as an Oriole guy, um, you know, but, you point out that he turned down the qualifying offer. And so I, I feel like that's probably a deal breaker for the Orioles. I doubt they'll sign a qualified free agent, but um, he makes but sense good bridge there to the Orioles, Matt. So let's uh, jump into them. Yeah. Obviously uh, 
very active offseason so far. Hot stove on fire. Lots of names uh, going off the board. Big dollars everywhere. The Orioles didn't want to be left out. So they jumped in with uh, <laughs> signing uh, Odor and Jordan Lyles. So, you know, we're playing right there at the top of the market. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Odor, he becomes one of four-ish internal options for regular time at second base during during the year. I don't think there's a whole lot to be said. He has power, doesn't walk, and there's been a regression in his in his uh, ability or at least production for for several years. Yeah, maybe there's lightning in the uh, barrel for you know a couple of months <laughs> and you can trade him for anything that would be best case scenario um and, but i don't know if he's going to get regular time or not you still have uh, uh in the minor league level of vavro who they really like uh, jones who got time at the end of the year and struggled obviously and, and then uh urias who you know was actually fairly playable and, and productive uh, the last half of the year, you know, at least comparably. So we'll see. Lyles is probably the more interesting addition. Uh, not a move that I think anybody's going to love. And, you know, he's just a below average pitcher, but a below average starter can be an uptick from, absolutely abysmal which is what what the Orioles rotation was and if he can eat some innings and just be slightly above average I mean below average that's somewhat valuable our colleague uh Nick Stevens wrote an article about Lyles and pointed to a change in his uh repertoire particularly with his uh, slider uh in the second half and thought you know maybe you have something there um Steven, just uh, uh, we can kind of really stick to Lyles. If you have any thoughts on Odor, go ahead and add them. But just on Lyles, uh, and I saw you, I saw a draft of your forthcoming article, and I thought you had an interesting point on what that signing represents. Go ahead and, and kind of just state that. Yeah. And before I get to that, Matt, I love the comment of the Orioles probably won't sign a qualified free agent. Um, <laughs> I, I would agree that we're definitely sticking the unqualified free agent uh, uh, sort of market here. Um, not not what but, I meant, but but okay. But uh, that aside, um, I, Lyles Lyles to a certain extent is whatever. I mean, he's he's not her, he's not horrendous or anything like that. Like I want to see that plastered on Camden Yards. He's not horrendous. <laughs> he's whatever. Maybe opening day they're running down the orange carpet, and that can be the introduction. Jordan right. Lyles, not horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i mean i'll give this to, like he does spin his fastball well he spins the curveball well and you know i will give the orioles credit that they have been able to make some tweaks to find you know a little bit more production out of guys than what you might have necessarily expected so maybe and there's a little a bit more that, there he was a guy that they were familiar with exactly and he fit the criteria that they have established of one-year deals Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Although there is a, a club club option for 11 million in 2023, apparently. So, but the key here is actually that money. The fact that they're willing to give a pretty unproven pitcher, uh, in terms of like you know, 
any sort of production, $7 million and talk about a club option for uh, $11 million. That at least indicates a willingness to spend on something beyond Matt Harvey for a million or Felix Hernandez yeah. for a million, or at least the possibility of it. It opens up the possibility of, you know, going out and getting, you know, no world beaters or anything, but uh, players who actually could be on someone else's major league rotation, which again is kind of an upgrade from where we were last year. I mean, guys like, I mean, even you know Matthew Boyd, Tyler Anderson, those type of guys. If you want to spend up a little further, I mean, Danny Duffy probably represents a uh, you know probably have to spend ten million to get him, or maybe even a couple years. But again, those are real major league pitchers, real quality guys who have take any of those for the names, rotations. Take any of those <laughs> names, and I'll add uh, Potato and and Davies. Again, none of them being good, but can you be below average and not just the the worst of the worst? Matt, any, any thoughts there? <laughs> yeah. So, listen, I know the Orioles are a big analytics uh, front office, and they're working with, uh, you know, advanced statistics well beyond both my comprehension and what's available to me here at Baseball Reference. But I just wanted to draw your uh, your eyes to this this couple columns on Jordan Lyle's Baseball Reference page. You're familiar with the whole idea of black ink where if something is bolded on your baseball reference page, it means you led the league in that statistic. Um, Jordan Lyles has three uh, black ink uh, stats. Um, la- in 2020, he led baseball in uh, allowing runs, 45. Um, and in 2021, he led baseball in allowing runs with 103. And he led baseball in giving up home runs with 38. Well, he's our opening night starter. He, he's the second starter in the rotation, and there's no doubt about it, really. So the only thing I think they would look at the at back of the card there would be what he had 180 innings this, this past year, right? And... Uh, not that. Um, oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. 180 on the nose. Sorry, I had read it as 130, but 180 is correct. That so, makes the 38 uh, a little easier to swallow. It's you can take the ball every fifth day for for a year and hopefully be okay. <laughs> it, it, you know, tolerable. Maybe that's the word. Jordan Lyles, tolerable. You, you know, I, I, think I think that's, that's kind the of ceiling. Right. You know, that's what you're hoping for. Uh, yeah. My thought is, if you're going to sign him and you're going to give him seven million then you should sign two more versions of him and then hopefully you can craft together between those three and means and then hopefully rodriguez by june a viable major league rotation i mean i mean i would assume that so i don't know if you guys heard like eduardo eduardo rodriguez uh, in his uh, introductory press conference in, in detroit talked about how he was excited to play with uh, a, a gold glove short shortstop or something, which was an allusion to the Red Sox uh, lack of defensive efficiency last year. Uh, I assume Jordan Lyles wouldn't sign with Baltimore unless he was certain that uh, Carlos Correa was coming as well. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I, I think that deal, is, that deal is in the works for sure. So that kind of brings us to what will the Orioles do at short and third which are the uh 
two openings on the roster. Yeah, I suggested you know, on the message board, I said, you know, uh, about one-year deals at this point for bring back Iglesias, who I uh, joined the Red Sox late last year and uh, was not the best. Matt, you can speak on that. And, no, he, uh, no, he was. He was about the best hitter on the Red Sox for like a month. <laughs> ah, it, was, I'm, I'm, it was insane. <laughs> yes. I'm going to look up the numbers now. I don't have it off the top of my head, but let me go ahead. Keep talking. Uh, and then, you know, it just uh, – and then thirds uh, was a little bit harder. Um, uh, again, Stephen has uh, some thoughts that he'll be putting out in an article, and we'll go to him in one second. I just thought, uh, you know, potentially the one name that I saw was, uh, you know, Josh Harrison, who only made a million this past year. And – the defensive metrics, whether you, you know, whatever you make of them, they actually were pretty good at third and on base was okay. So 1 million sounds within the ballpark of what the Orioles may want to do. And really you're just looking for a stopgap probably until Westberg ascends, which is my guess some, some point during the year. Um, I don't know. Iglesias hit 356. 406 on base and slugged 508 in 23 games for Boston. Ah, so I, I, I somehow I just mi- missed that or saw that wrong, but basically it was his uh, you know, 2020 version with, with yeah. the Orioles, uh, uh, you know, there in that, in that short span. Look, I mean, we, we talked about um, uh, Simmons at some point and, right. you know, that could it's, the same, it's the same idea, uh, you know, He's a veteran who can make the plays at, at short. If you get anything out of the bat, that's a that's a bonus. It'd just be nice for any of the young pitchers to come up if they know that somebody can make a some type of regular play behind them at this point, even if he's not the Gold Glove version that he that he was in, in his prime. So no, I like any both other those na- guys, yeah, both those guys. I and mean, you're bringing up, you know, Grayson Rodriguez, and maybe at some point DL Hall. You want you want them to be able to field behind them. Any other names that uh, make uh, make sense? Uh... Uh, how deep cut do we want to go? I'm, I say, Chris, you mentioned the article I'm working on. I'm working on a list of 22 kind of like one year, one to two year guys for uh, next year that the Orioles could sign. How deep do we want to go here? Well, that sounds like a whole new roster, and that might not be the bad, worst way to go. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, who finished second in the most home runs allowed? Let's start that. No, I'm kidding. Um, I say one more black king for Jordan Isles, uh, Lyles. He was tied in the lead for fielding percentage at pitchers. We, we, as soon as you mentioned the bl- black king, I pulled up his page and I was just like, oh, geez, there it is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> look, look, the other four teams in the East are all positioned to win, you know, at least 85 plus, probably, you know, two or three of them will win over 90 games uh, this coming year. So, New Orleans, I think going back to the last pod that we had, we're talking about, hey, if you made a couple of moves, maybe 75 was within uh, reach. So, But even you know, 65, 70 wins and looking like a viable team would be a, uh, a step up. And if the CBA is corrected to where Rutschman can start the year at uh, behind the plate without them playing the service time games, and you, you had a couple of other Lyle – versions of uh in the rotation i will be i can't say i'll be happy but i'll 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 feel like they have a closer to major league product and they'll be that much more interesting to watch Mm. Uh, so i got a name for you this might be on your list Stephen, but colin McHugh. 
Yeah, I uh, say so he he's kind of on the. Uh, I'm trying to decide whether to put him on the rotation or the bullpen side of things. Sometimes I think that's the good thing about him. You can yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. McHugh got a lot of attention at the site a couple of years ago, where people thought he would be a good acquisition for the year. And the last year was kind of like the version that I think we we had in anticipated that that he could be. So uh, that'd be somebody interesting. And obviously, he has the prior connection uh, there that could make it make sense, right? Uh, so the only other thing to discuss for the week, uh, Fangraphs article today, uh, looking at potentially, uh, you know, John Means as a potential trade target, uh, Matt, just, you know, any take there? Well, I'll tell you what I wrote down. Um, I wrote underneath the, the little, um, link that you sent, I wrote good gosh. That's what yeah, I, I, I think that's. Kind of encapsulates my general feelings, and I couldn't say the author was wrong. I'm sorry, I, I didn't jot down who the author was. The only yeah. thing that kind ben of Clemens. Been, yeah, Ben Clemens. The only thing that kind of annoyed me was just, and maybe he's right, and just my own annoyance it was just the idea of well, it means only has three years of control left, and That's damn, a if lot. they can't. It, 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 Three years controls a significant amount, and if you can't put together a viable product in three years at this point in your rebuild, something's wrong. And not everyone that you have is going to be the same thing as we've said multiple times that you're going to have to have external pieces, and you can't build everything internally. Uh, to me, not everyone you have is going to be the uh, the the young prospect ascending. It, you know, it should have some type of a blend, but. I also understand that, hey, if you think our run of, uh, of you know, we're hoping to have an extended uh, window of success and you want to move him now where he is, does have that control and the most that he can bring back, I mean, I get it, but it, man, that's uh, for a team that has zero pitching, it's depressing to think about the, the idea of uh, losing kind of the one viable starter you have at this point. <laughs> It also brings to mind the idea that, you know, I I feel like they probably need to trade Adley Rushman. I mean, they've only got seven years of team control. So I mean, that, that, that's the that's the immediate joke at like at the at the board, right? I mean, it's very yeah, hard. It's obvious, get, and I'm sorry. No, it's it's a good one. I mean, because it's true. I mean, at some point, it's very hard to convince your your fan base uh, that you are. Uh, that you're ever going to try and contend if there aren't any pieces that you are trying to like build, you know, build around. Yeah. And, and here's I mean, the other thing, like, yeah, he's got three years of team control left. You could extend him. It doesn't have to be three. It could be six or eight. Right. You could give him some money. Maybe he'd stay and pitch for you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Or you can, uh, I mean, it's true. They could tack on a, a, a year or two and probably very reasonable numbers. And, you know, worst case scenario, he's going to be, should be a back of the rotation arm at, at pretty, at, at decent, uh, at decent money. I, I guess it, it, everything comes down to just how much value would he have as a, uh, you know, potential trade partner. And I guess if I was looking at it from the outside, not the world's perspective, like couldn't have I just, signed Alex Wood without giving up any young 
cost controlled uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, talent or enough talent that the Orioles would be like, hey, yeah, we should move <laughs> move him with three years of control remaining. But yeah, yeah. that's me. I mean, <laughs> if, the, if, the, if they're about to get some really good prospects for him, I don't know. I guess I could I could see it. He is older, and you know he'll be a free agent when he's what thirty two or something like that. So yeah, but. I, yeah, at, at some point you have to put a good team on the field. And that, I guess that point isn't going to be 2022, whatever year it is now. Um, but Elias, 2023 Elias is an option. You could do that. Elias instead. had some comments, you know, basically saying, like, basically what he said was, we want to see one more year of what we have internally and then we're going to spend. That's basically what, what, what he said. So, and look to have. Im- significant improvement in 23 now the fan base will believe it when they see it yeah but i think he's been pretty straightforward with his comments so if you're going to spend to have improvement in 23 then it seems to me that you know you might want to have him around and that would probably be probably be easier to have (laughs) have some overall improvement at that point but something to watch uh, of course, we'll, we'll be monitoring what happens with the CBA. Uh, you know, obviously, there is no immediate news on, on the uh, forefront, so we'll see if we can come up with some topics. If we do, we'll we'll be back and talking next week. If not, come and join us at the site, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, and check out the recent articles from Matt and Stephen as they uh, cover the MLB and Orioles for us. So, bye, thanks. Take care. <laughs>